1: It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
2: Gamble on, fellas, gamble on. (laughs)
1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets managing editor and media director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And if you were looking for last week's episode in your podcast feed, wondering if you had some sort of tech fail, rest assured that it's not you, it's me. We missed a week of Gamble On because finally, after about two years and two months, COVID got me, Uh, and specifically on the days when we record the podcast, Wednesday and Thursday, I could barely get out of bed. So I ran up the white flag, surrendered, canceled the show for the week, and we live to podcast another day. Uh, unfortunately, I did not lose my sense of smell. So while I was laid up in bed last Tuesday night and Thursday night, I was not spared the stench of what my 76ers were doing on the basketball court. Uh, John, how have you been since we last talked on a podcast two weeks ago? And did you make productive use of your free time that opened up by not having to podcast last week?
2: <laughs> well, I spent most of that time worrying about your well-being, Eric. Ah, thank you. But uh, all kidding aside, <laughs> I know I was proud of you for recognizing it. Look, if it can't happen, it can't happen you know the world still revolves on its axis uh i think for the free time uh we're all about transparency here and uh i've gotten hooked on the reruns of this show called castle uh she's a (laughs) preposterously beautiful detective and he is a absurdly handsome uh like uh crime story novelist and he helps out on cases for no reason it's just ridiculous beyond belief but uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is
1: what a great use of your time nathan fillion right that's the main yeah. star yeah yeah okay. i
2: never heard of him and I, apparently he's on other shows or something i don't know really...
1: yeah he's like kind of one of those guys who's floated around for a long time as yeah. sort of uh yeah he's he's constantly working in tv but not quite uh, necessarily a household name uh, everywhere but um, never seen an episode but I've seen the commercials many times
2: yeah it's one of those shows where like I said it makes no sense but you just it, you just you get away from the world you know you're yeah. just watching it and you know there's a little bit of mystery and you know a lot of suspects and and uh, you know red herrings and such and then you know you get to the end of it you, you feel more relaxed I don't know like I said I'm not proud of it but it is what it is <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: I have to say, I was disappointed to miss a week of podcasting. Uh, I guess, I guess now nobody will be comparing me to uh, Cal Ripken. Those (laughs) days are over. But um, I also gave COVID to my wife. So uh, as soon as I was Uh finishing my quarantining, she had Uh to start hers. Not Uh ideal, Uh, but fortunately, her symptoms have been milder than mine. She's uh, on the mend. Um, And if I'm looking for silver linings, um, I have three big events coming up in the next month. I have my 25th college reunion, I have the International Boxing Hall of Fame induction weekend, and I have a family trip to California. So now I should theoretically have some strong immunity and not have to worry about catching it or spreading it during any of those events. Um, you know, we, we, we've put COVID exposure in gambling terms at times, um, you know, like what percentage chance are you taking if you go to a casino during COVID, how much are you gambling, that sort of thing. Uh, Well, in gambling terms, I guess I would say I had a losing session last week and uh, put a little dent in my bankroll. But now I get a free roll for a little while. I'm I'm just playing with casino vouchers uh, as far as COVID now.
2: Yeah, and the uh, the stakes are a lot lower than they used to be, thank God.
1: True. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 193 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 192 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Make sure to click subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode, unless, of course, we miss an episode. Exactly.
2: Uh, Coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by one of the new members of the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. He's South Point bookmaker Chris Andrews. We'll get Chris's thoughts on his upcoming induction, running a sports betting operation of sorts as early as fifth grade, and how he feels about mobile operators severely limiting bettors. But first, it's been a busy week of me traveling here and there to cover the world of gambling. So let's get to it.
3: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Because we missed last week, we didn't get a chance to reflect on the Kentucky Derby, but now the timing is such that we can look back on the Derby and ahead to the Preakness at the same time. Surely everyone saw what happened in the Derby. Rich Strike, the number 21 horse in a 20-horse race, came from out of nowhere down the stretch to sprint past favorites Epicenter and Zandon and win by three-quarters of a length. Rich Strike went off at 80-1, to the longest odds in this year's field and the second longest odds ever for a winning horse in the Derby. And this was the biggest handle derby ever, a record $179 million bet in the pari pool, with a mere 501000 of it wagered on Rich Strike. So what odds can you get on Rich Strike in this Saturday's Preakness stakes? You can't. He isn't running. He's skipping the Preakness in keeping with a planned rest schedule, so there will be no Triple Crown winner this year. Meanwhile, Kentucky Derby weekend marked the first weekend with fixed odds betting available in your home state of New Jersey, John. So any insights on how that's going so far, reflections on the Derby, or thoughts on Rich Strike's handlers bypassing their chance at a Triple Crown?
2: Well, yeah, first I was at Monmouth Park on opening day of its season, which wound up being a day after the Derby because of an inconvenient monsoon down the shore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have an update later today that you can find on NJOnlineGambling.com or on my Twitter feed on what's next beyond so far, what is only fixed odds on Monmouth Park races made while you're at Monmouth Park. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I spoke to track operator Dennis Drazen on Wednesday about my experience being a very casual horse racing better at best. Um, I told him that seeing one horse listed at 19 to 1 on the parimutuel board and and right next to it, 90 to 1 on the fixed odds, you could lock in. And, well, I went to lock it in. The price even changed in the minute it took me to place my wager. <laughs> so I got to one odds locked in no matter what, Ooh. which is crazy on a race with only seven horses. I mean, if my guy has four legs, I figure he's got a puncher's chance, right? <laughs> so just as the race started, I think the fixed odds finished at 42 to 1 or so. And the parimutuel number finished at 34 to 1. So for one fleeting second, I'm excited about my odds. 100 to 1 this is great. And the race started and my horse had four legs, but well, they didn't move very fast. So you know, apologies to longtime New Jersey resident Yogi Berra. This one was over before it was over. <laughs> Sometimes it's just it's just over. Uh, by mid-race, the fancy new two million dollar video board installed by fixed odds partner, Betmakers, showed a crisp view of the race. Well, of six horses. I had to look back from the rail to see mine trotting in the distance. <laughs> So I, I really enjoyed the experience. I felt like I I got over on side. So I beat the man. I had something right. for one fleeting second. So <laughs> now as for the Derby winner, also, um, I was shocked to see that three of my siblings, none of whom have much interest in horse racing, were on a group family chat talking about watching the race beforehand, hmm. and the result really energized them. But now with no shot at a Triple Crown, I have it as about plus fifteen hundred that any of them wants to the preak this now. So that's a bummer. But. That said, the dream scenario in Jersey, and it's happened before, is to have three different Triple Crown winners. And then they go head to head for the first time at the Haskell at Monmouth Park in midsummer. That could be a big Brennan family
1: festival. Well, I'm a, I'm a little bit like your siblings who uh, may lose interest in the Preakness. Uh, I, I think you actually referred to yourself as a, you know, a casual, very casual uh, better for uh, horse, uh, horse betting. I I think I represent the voice of the extremely casual horse racing fan in that I've never bet on it. Um, I watch no more than three races a year. And for the most part, the only thing that makes me care about the outcome of a race is if a horse has a chance at the triple crown, which is always possible heading into the Kentucky Derby, almost always possible heading into the Preakness and occasionally possible heading into the Belmont. So as the mega casual fan, I find it supremely disappointing that Rich Strike won't run the Preakness. Um, I might watch on Saturday. I might not. If I happen to be home and I remember that it's on, I'll turn it on. It's a fun two minutes. But if Rich Strike were in it, I would actually go out of my way to try to watch. And you know, I'm sure the handlers have very good reasons. Presumably, they're doing what's best for the horse. But in terms of what's best for the whole sport, seems to me like they're definitely not doing what's best for the sport. Um, and in terms of betting too, I'm sure handle would be a lot higher if Rich strike is in there and people are trying to decide well, he was 80 to one for the Derby. Now he's what, eight to one. Is that a good bet? How do I handicap him, et cetera? So anyway, that's my uh, extreme casual viewpoint uh, on, on the the Preakness situation. But boy, the house cleaned up on the Derby from the sound of things. Um, <laughs> ap- apparently Circa took a loss. Uh, they, a bunch of bettors there jumped on the longest shot in the field and they had a, a rich strike at odds as high as 150 to one. Um, so they didn't do so well, but most other race books kept almost all the money and um, pour one out for poor mattress Mac who lost $2.6 million on the Derby. But of course he didn't really care either way. It was all just a hedge and I should stop giving him publicity. Cause I can feel Brett Smiley getting upset with me right now.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking of an intervention there possibly uh, down <laughs> the road, but I gotta tell you, I don't blame the horsemen. I blame the industry. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason that these horses don't run all three races anymore for the most part is, that the breeding is such that the horses are much more fragile you know they're, they're bred for speed within an inch of their life and so they just can't handle this this pace right to to come back in two weeks um so okay that's fine so what you do is in the industry you say all right how many weeks would you need after the derby like is the third week would that be enough and Mm -hmm. if it is then make it three weeks later and if they no, we would need four weeks then make it four weeks later and then the same with the belmont which is of course a mile and a half so that's a really tough test so if they say we need Three weeks after the Derby and then four weeks after the Preakness, that's when you schedule the triple crown races because then the horses are, are going to run and you, you got what you're looking for. I mean, it it seems so obvious to me. I mean, they're stuck on this, you know, archaic schedule from 40 years ago right. when it doesn't have to be. I mean, the Derby is always the first uh, weekend in May. So we get that. So we're going to we're going to keep that there. We can move the Preakness and Belmont dates. I mean, and if you say, oh, that's going to cut into some, nobody cares. I mean, these are the three races that the average, you know, schmuck like you and I care about. (laughs) So, so schedule those races in a way that the best horses can race in each of the three races. That's what you got to do. Sometimes these things are so obvious that when you're on the inside, like the, uh, the industry is, they don't even see the forest for the trees.
1: Yeah, I, I guess basically what you're saying is that these horses are on a pitch count uh, these days yeah. and uh, and basically uh, this, this load is management the, also. Yeah, a load management pitch count. This is the equivalent of uh, Rich Strike is getting pulled in the seventh inning with a no hitter going because he's reached his number of pitches uh, and uh, doesn't get a chance to see if he can throw the no hitter. Exactly. Uh, Our second story follows up on two states we spoke about last episode as what was then nearly official is now indeed official. Kansas has legalized sports betting and Missouri will not be passing any sports betting legislation this year. Let's start with the good news. Last Thursday, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly put her signature on legislation allowing for retail and statewide mobile betting. This makes Kansas the second state following Maine to legalize this year. The new law becomes effective July 1st and requires that betting launch by January 1st, 2023. Across the state line, Missouri predictably concluded its legislative session with nothing accomplished on the sports betting front, with a bill dying in the state Senate as the debate over whether to attach video gaming terminals or VGTs to the issue could not be ironed out. John, I'm not sure how much you'll have to say about this since we discussed both states two weeks ago when these appeared the likely outcomes, but... Anything new to add and should Missourians have any optimism about 2023?
2: You know, I imagine that school teachers have lots of boring examples to explain to students the meaning of the word inertia. Well, state houses and bills are a good place to start for a more interesting example. You know, I mean, one lawmaker gets an idea. He proposes it around. He gets some backing from colleagues then all takes to go nowhere as one of two or three politicians to insist the bill also includes something arguably extraneous. And poof, we have inertia like in Missouri. That's inertia, kids. You know, as for 2023 in Missouri, supporters should begin counting Missouri license plates at casinos just across the border in Kansas and taking photos and then show them to their reluctant colleagues. This is how your Pennsylvania got casinos uh, back in 2006, Eric. You know, it it proved that Pennsylvanians were spending a billion dollars a year in Atlantic City. So why don't we get a piece of that? You know, this way, you you show the Missourians or it's a Mizzou's, it should be Mizzou's, but probably Missourians. Uh, (laughs) They're already making legal sports bets in Kansas while Kansas keeps the tax revenue. You know, that'll learn them.
1: I want you to sing a song about inertia, schoolhouse uh, rock style. <laughs> schoolhouse you think you can work on that for next time, uh, John? Come yeah, up with an like inertia that, song? Yeah. <laughs> um, I find the Missouri situation oddly fascinating. It's such an outlier state at this point in that the will is obviously there. It's surrounded by states that have legalized. And it looks from the outside like one person is, is gumming up the works. Um, it's funny. I edited a story Jill Dorson wrote maybe a year or so ago for Sports Handle where she spoke directly to Missouri State Senator Denny Hoskins. He gave her some colorful quotes and I edited it and I sent her a note that, wow, this Denny Hoskins guy sounds like a total a-hole. And she had a politically correct reply to the effect of, yeah, he's a character. He speaks his mind. One of those sort of things where she doesn't quite want to endorse me calling him an a-hole, but she isn't disagreeing either. Um, He he obviously has a, a, a my way or the highway kind of attitude and it's pretty clear to me that Missouri would have legalized by now if not for Hoskins overplaying his hand. Um, The short version of what happened is everything was negotiated and compromised and agreed upon and the bill passed the House. But in the Senate, he insisted these VGTs be part of the bill and he killed a bill that didn't include VGTs. And it seems like when Kansas legalized, he scrambled and said, OK, let's try this one without VGTs. But it was too late. They couldn't work out the details. There was an annual license fee that was too high for some stakeholders. Um, Jill got some excellent quotes again last week, not from Hoskins, but from some outside observers. Um, John Pappas, who I think we've had him on Gamble On, right? Yeah. Uh, He said, quote, With sports betting now legal in Kansas and other neighboring states, Missouri has become a virtual island, but it won't stop Missourians. Sorry, there it is, Missourians uh, from betting. Residents will just travel out of state or worse place a misguided trust with illegal offshore websites. We are hopeful lawmakers and stakeholders will do what's right and agree to pass a law next legislative session. Uh, And then Brendan Bussman told Jill. After four years, you would think some of the champions of this initiative in the legislative body would have figured out how to get this across the goal line. But the ball was fumbled well before this last week of the session. Um, With all that in mind, I would be pretty surprised if Missouri doesn't legalize in 2023. I, I think legalization is about a minus 400 favorite, I'd say, between them having almost all the details agreed upon and them being pretty much surrounded by states with legal sports betting that are taking tax dollars away from any interested better who lives near any border I'm feeling pretty confident that Missouri gets it done next year.
2: Yeah, I think so. I I want to mention this for bonus points. Uh, So Kansas wants to piss away all the money they get from uh, this new source of revenue on a stadium for an NFL team called the Kansas city chiefs, you know, because really, I mean, you get a couple hundred million dollars a year. What do you, you know, what's your priority really? What do you want to do for your constituents? I think uh, giving a multi-billion dollar NFL team, a free stadium (laughs) is really probably the best use. I can't, I can't think of another you know, thing that could be done, especially in these economic times, you know, to uh, maybe help out the average Joe six pack uh, taxpayer. I think the really what you need to have is a free stadium for an NFL team.
1: Yeah, those poor NFL teams, they really need our (laughs) charity, don't they? (laughs) That's brutal. All right. For our third and final story this week, let's look back on the entire last four years. Simple enough to cover in about five minutes, right? Uh, This past Saturday marked the four year anniversary of the Supreme Court's ruling on PASPA, which means it's been four years since I got a message from Adam Small telling me his company was ready to make me an offer to come work for him. And the same is true for you as well, John. Uh, Some of our colleagues wrote pieces reflecting on the four years. Gary Rotstein interviewed attorney Matthew McGill, co-counsel for New Jersey, for a U.S. bets article. And McGill told Gary, quote, it wasn't obvious at that time, at least to me, that sports betting would sweep the nation in quite the way it has. I thought that states would legalize it, but it wasn't obvious that they would rush to do so with the enthusiasm which they have shown. Uh, Meanwhile, Jeff Edelstein wrote for Sports Handle about some of the most and least surprising developments since May 14th, 2018, considering a scandal like the Calvin Ridley story highly predictable while Tennessee legalizing sports betting in the way that it did, as quickly as it did, was a shocker. Uh, John, your thoughts four years into the post-PASPA era, and care to look into your crystal ball and make a prediction about the industry four more years from now?
2: Well, I mean, the whole thing was strange for me because I go back to around 2009, the state senator Ray Lesniak and I executive Joe Brennan, Jr. No relation. He always enjoys when I point that <laughs> out, uh, trying to kill pass. But even then the state referendum on it passed in 2011. And of course, the famous court case with the NFL NCAA at Al uh, began in 2012. So now nobody else in the media from back then still covers this stuff. So, but those in the know realized that the ruling was telegraphed a year earlier because the Supreme court had asked the solicitor general lawyers called out slot, the 10th justice, if the case is worth taking, well, the court always takes the advice they get from that office, except here. And when a message of no is ignored and they took it anyway, gee, I wonder why spoiler alert, what are they going to do? So also worth mentioning that kind of forgot, I think is that all nine judges conceded it was a dopey law. They don't use that term exactly but that's (laughs) what they conceded uh two of them wanted to salvage chunks of it another was wishy-washy and six agreed it needed to be put in a rocket and launched into the sun which it was so the mainstream world took the ruling like a revolution while the few insiders well they didn't yawn because there was work to be done pronto but they certainly weren't shocked um personally i actually was talking to adam and others well before the ruling since Mm -hmm. it was a fait accompli you know I reminded my father when he was around age 90, confiding that during World War II, before he went overseas as a B-17 bombardier, two women actually were in love with him. I could have married either one of them, he said, without bravado, seriously, without bravado. But your mother loved me more. Well, in mid-2018, it was like that, but with more than two women, metaphorically speaking, as far as I'm concerned.
1: So no no, no predictions for uh, four years from now? You're going to pass oh, on that yeah, one? yeah. I'm
2: going to go... Uh, 48 states there's a debate of whether Utah is definitely the last one or if Hawaii gets to be 5-0 again and I do think Hawaii will be four9 and maybe not in four years and Utah maybe never but uh, yeah I don't I don't think any, four years is a good number because um, California and Texas and Florida I can see them taking two to three years for various reasons but four years yeah I, I think they all come aboard almost.
1: All right, I, I guess if 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 that's the line, I guess I have to take the under, but but not by much. Yeah, it's, no. I, Texas is the one that maybe it's even going to be more than four years out of, out of those out of the big ones. But yeah, I'd say you know, if, I guess if we're saying out of fifty one jurisdictions, counting D C. We're somewhere, I'd say the line is something like 46 and a half or 47 and a half for four years Mm -hmm. from now, somewhere in that range. Um, I guess the more wide open question would be online casino states. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. at six right now. In four more years, I might put the line at 10 and a half. Uh, I think it's going to continue moving slowly. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you told me that it takes off and it gets to 24 years from now, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked.
2: I got to tell you, uh, Bill the III was at the uh, Newark, uh, well, in, in Newark for the Seton Hall Law School boot camp. And he told the students that he believes Texas will legalize ahead of California and Florida, hmm. okay. which uh, I got a couple of uh, comments on Twitter, kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll take the max bet, that kind of thing. <laughs> like they're, not, they're skeptical, but they definitely raise some eyebrows. At, and he uh, people in the industry know Bill Pascuala third knows everybody. So right. he's not uh, just talking out of his ass here. He, he, he's got some kind of info. I think that suggests that uh, they may be a little quicker on the draw than we think.
1: Yeah. I will uh, defer on this one. Uh, his, his opinion is worth more than mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Um, so, um, Anyway, if I had to identify a single most surprising thing from the first four years post-PASPA, it wouldn't be the rate of expansion, although that's Mm. been maybe a tad faster than I would have predicted, Um, and it wouldn't be the massive betting handle, although, again, I might not have guessed that a couple of states would be handling a billion dollars every month. Rather, I think the biggest surprise is how many of these online sports books still aren't turning a profit. I, I didn't think this many of them would be willing to operate at a loss for this long. You know, FanDuel seems to have figured it out to some extent just because they've been on the cutting edge with parlays and making huge money off them. And that's helped offset all the various marketing costs, but most of the rest are lagging behind and, you know, as a better, it's great. Thanks to promos and freebies. I've cashed out considerably more than I've deposited the last few years. And I know the same is true for you, John, but, Mm -hmm. but for the sustainability of the industry, I don't know. I, I guess they all just believe that they'll get there and and maybe they will. Maybe they're all just willing to keep treading water until California legalizes. And then uh, then they're golden. Uh, pardon the golden state uh, dad joke. there, using the word golden. <laughs> yeah, but yes. uh, it, it seems like that's what they're all waiting for. And and at that point, they all expect to be making big money.
2: Uh, yeah, it's where they, you know, yeah, they're losing money with all the promotions, but they make it up on volume. Yeah, I don't get it either. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
3: Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
1: On our most recent podcast, we reported on the Sports Betting Hall of Fame's class of 2022 and noted that none of this year's inductees have ever appeared on Gamble On. So we've taken swift action to remedy that. We now welcome to the podcast a man who's been a major figure in Nevada sports betting for more than 40 years, the sportsbook director at South Point since 2016, the author of two books chronicling his Las Vegas bookmaking experiences, and now a sports betting Hall of Famer, Chris Andrews. Chris, congratulations on your Hall of
3: Fame induction, and welcome to Gamble On. Well, thanks, Eric. It's a very nice introduction. I hope I can live up to uh, everything you built me up for. <laughs> it's not us. It's the Sports
1: Betting Hall of Fame. They're, they called you a Hall of Famer, so uh, I, I have confidence you'll live up to it, though. Well, um, so when someone gets inducted into, into any Hall of Fame, they usually find out about it before the public does, typically getting a direct phone call from the Hall. Can you tell us about your experience of finding out that you were to be inducted?
3: Well they told me I guess it's probably about six weeks beforehand, but they told me don't say anything. don't tell anybody. And uh, well I, I you know my wife always kids me, yeah, I can keep a lid on it as good as anybody. so uh, so I did. I kept on a, a lid on it all that time until they finally announced everybody and uh, you know Vinnie Miolo who i see virtually every day, he was in there too. And he kept the lid on it himself. We both did. And then we both kind of laughed about it. It's hard to believe the two of us could keep a secret for that long, but we did. I
1: assume you told your wife, I assume, or
3: you didn't I even tell her. My wife. I mean, right. I I, right. I can't afford
1: another divorce. So, yeah, I had to tell. <laughs> gotcha. So, uh, on a very serious note, of course, you, you're a cancer survivor. Um, a bone marrow transplant in 2019 saved your life. Does that add a layer of emotion when you get an honor like this, knowing you know, frankly, how close you came to, to not being here for this?
3: Yeah, just to clarify, it's not technically cancer, you know, okay. it, it, you know, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, they treat it like cancer, I can tell you that. Um, and yeah, I think it, it had a lot of, it changed my perspective on a lot of things, you know, that, um, you know, like kind of when you look death in the eyes um, and survive, um, you know, and probably like a lot of other guys, you know, you kind of realize what's important, what isn't in life. And, uh, and I think I've definitely, um, had that perspective since that time. I, I you know, like I said, five I, was probably before I had the transplant, I was probably had no more than like about two months to live, wow. you know, I was going downhill fast. Uh, but the transplant worked and, uh, and I'm here. And like, I, I always kind of joke, I said, you know, five years ago, they gave me two years to live and here I am. So now they say I should have a normal lifespan, whatever that is. I'm 66 years old. So I don't know if that's, you know, a week and a half or another 20 years. I have no idea, <laughs> but, uh, But whatever that is, I'm grateful for
2: it. Chris, uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, I came up with a question in my mind that I thought I would ask you originally, and it was going to be, you know, what would your fifth grade teacher say you were going to become? And I figured the answer would be an astronaut or, uh, you know, the president or in the military or in the Peace Corps or something, you know, grandiose. And then I read the profile by Gary Rothstein and PenBets.com, one of our websites. And uh, I realized I, I wasn't far off the mark, was I?
3: No, fifth grade, uh, my cousins <laughs> and I, we started booking parlay cards. You know, we, yeah, uh, you know, I think we had one. I think we had one kid bet us a dollar. You know, but most of them were nickels and quarters and stuff like that. And uh, it was a highway robbery. The lines we put out, you know, ties lose, and it would be, you know, my pick'em games would be minus three on both sides. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, it was a, be minus seven and plus six. You know, minus minus 13 plus 10 i mean we it was a highway we never paid one card in two years i mean and that's god's honest truth never paid one card so uh we weren't bookmaking as much as robbing is what we were doing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) this was not endorsed by the school i assume (laughs)
3: Uh, no no they they really although my my you asked me about fifth grade i think my sixth grade teacher who i think was half greek uh kind of figured out what we were doing (laughs) and he just kind (laughs) of laughed about it so
1: That's hilarious. Um, So uh, certainly you've been a bookmaker a long time, but uh, the last few years have been uh, a little different from everything that, that led up to it. What's the biggest thing that has changed about your job, about being a bookmaker since PASPA got overturned and legal betting, particularly mobile betting, really started spreading across the country? Well, as far
3: as me personally, it hasn't changed that much. Uh, I am in a casino and Michael gone the owner of the South Point I, you know our our main what our main mantra is, is you know we, we we're part of a casino so you know we run run a really good sports book you know great customer service all that sort of thing uh, but we don't want to get into a lot of the other things that I, I don't think are sustainable and I could say this since paps came around our our Market has grown. And I was just looking at figures today. Our handle is up. Ticket counts are up. Uh, You know, so I think the market has grown Uh, now. You know, I can't speak for a lot of the other uh, jurisdictions. I think they're in 31 now in the United States, uh, 30 states and then the the district of Columbia. Uh, That's probably going to grow from there, I think, probably within the next decade or so. Uh, I don't know about Utah and Hawaii, but probably I'm thinking probably everybody else is going to have it in one form or another. Uh, but it's grown the market. We have not fallen into into the trap of doing a lot of things that these other uh, outfits are doing uh, and i I watch uh, you know they're most of them are not profitable. you know they have all these bonuses and uh, really some silly things to be quite honest with you, but they're not profitable and we've maintained our discipline and running a sports book the way it's supposed to be run. And also remembering that it is pulling fine. I think we're doing really well. And a lot of these other places, um, you know, I don't know where they're going to be in 10 years. I really don't know. Right. And, just just the the the
1: mobile side of it i mean you know you're your old school there's something special about being at the sports book in person watching the games talking to the te- the guy at the at the window and all that sort of stuff what are your feelings on on mobile betting just as an activity is it is it not quite the same experience and not quite the same game to you
3: yeah, I mean, we have mobile and, uh, you know, we you know, obviously, like anything else, we'd like to grow the mobile. But we also keep it in mind that, again, we we do favor people coming to the counter because we're looking for traffic in the casino. And it's funny, I talked to some guys, naturally, and uh, they say, you know, mobile is kind of cool. You, know, you can bet from anywhere. But really, all it does is kind of just change the number on your computer screen. If you come in and make a bet, you bet, you know, whatever you bet, $100, $1,000, whatever – and you come in and cash your ticket What's well, it's nice getting that green stuff in your hands and it, it's a whole different feeling and it really is uh you know i bet on uh yeah, yeah i have a horse app that i use i don't want to say uh, what casino it is but but i bet there but when you go and cash out and they give you that cash it's nice you know rather than just like i said seeing a couple numbers change on your computer screen you know it's a lot better just to get, uh, get those dollars in your pocket it just feels a lot better
2: yeah, Chris. A lot of these newer sports books, in particular, are notorious for limiting what they call sharp bettors to where um, they uh, they'll they'll knock you know a, a ten thousand dollar bet down to you know eighty six dollars or some silly number. And I think for somebody not in the business, they might think, well, of course. I mean, the, there aren't many people who make a living betting on sports, but if they do, why would you want them to bet there because they're gonna you're just gonna cost you money? So why would you want that customer? But you know, what what is the wisdom of taking on the sharps and, and how do you feel in general about, you know, not only limiting some bets at some cases, but, you know, extreme limits in particular.
3: Well, everybody has to have some limits. I always said like if Jeff yeah. Bezos walks in and wants a billion dollars. on the dog, <laughs> again, Are you going to give yeah. it to him? Well, no. So you have to have some sort of limits, but we, we you know, we, we don't have great limits on our phone app, but we, you know, I've never gotten any kind of beef whatsoever from Michael gone from taking big bets at the counter. He wants people to come in and that's fine taking million-dollar bets here. Uh, we you know, And I, I don't want to mention any names, but some very prominent guys in the industry will tell you that I treat them very fairly. They come in, and uh, if they are sharp bettors, and I got a bunch of them, I try to use that to straighten out my line, and I, I do my best as a bookmaker. And you can't always do this, but I do my best to go in with the same sides that they like. And that's worked for us uh, well over the years, and I'm thinking of a couple guys particularly – who bet me uh, the Super Bowl props? And you know, Super Bowl props are tough. You know, I'm I'm doing a bunch of things during the course of the year, and a lot of these guys are studying this, you know, for eight nine months at a time, waiting to pound. So I mean, they're going to be way sharper than me on those particular things. So when they do bet me, and I give them a fair limit. Um, and like I said, I move the number and try to go in with their side if I can. You know, we've done well over, over the years doing it exactly that way. And like I said, I think you'd find very few guys that would say that I didn't treat them very fairly with, uh, you know, how, how, I, how I handle them. I, I tell them what their limits are. I don't cut them down to And you know, – I've seen some guys technically get t- down to cents. One guy showed me his app because he wanted to bet, make a bet. They said you're, you could bet 35 cents. You know, and that's, you know, insane. Um, but that is the way a lot of the business is going. Uh, but like I said, let's see where they are in 10 years. I don't know where they'll be because I don't think that's the right way to, to, to operate this business. And I don't think it's sustainable in any way, shape or form.
2: Yeah, so it sounds like when you're taking that bet, even though it may be a big number, and even though you may lose the money, you're getting information that's worth a lot also.
3: Well, listen, I mean, the way this industry is right now, you know, when I first started, we booked uh, baseball, football, basketball, point spreads. I mean, totals were like this brand new thing that Bill Dark came up with. Uh, Then we started doing things like you know, first halves and second halves, even at the time, money lines were almost unheard of, you know, and now our business has grown so much. And, you know, right now I got, you know, a couple of the supervisors working just a few feet from me. They put up the basketball props, uh, you know, the PGA matchups for this week, NASCAR matchups for this week. I mean, there's no way one person could, could know all that. So when you do get bet by some guys specialize on those types of things, you know, you move the hell out of it. And uh, like I said, if they're sharp, respected betters, try to go in with their side if you can. But, you know, it's just the business has changed so much. Um, yeah, you have to use those kind of guys to kind of straighten out your line. And, you know, you try to go in with their side if you can, if you, you know, oftentimes you can't. But uh, but that's really kind of the way we, we certainly try to treat people and try to treat the market.
1: All right. Great stuff. Well, I'm not sure what uh, what took us so long to have you (laughs) on the podcast, something we probably should have done earlier. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I guess I guess the Hall of Fame induction serves as uh, some nice marketing uh, to get your name out there more. And so we we finally uh, better late than never. uh, We wised up and had you on. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time, Chris. And uh, congratulations on the Hall of Fame induction. Okay, thank you very much.
3: My pleasure. Thanks, Chris.
2: Two Two
3: men. $10,000. $10,000.
2: Will they run it up
3: or blow it all?
2: It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll.
1: Let's update our betting bankroll. And, well, one good thing about having an unintended week off during which you can't place any bets is that if you can't place bets, you can't lose bets. Uh, the week off also gave several of our playoff series bets a chance to play out. So we have a lot to update. Uh, we'll start with John's two golf bets. This feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, Leishman and Henley, both for top 20 for $50 a piece. You revealed afterward that you had a different golfer you wanted instead of Leishman, but he had an early tee time, so he couldn't be used for the podcast. Naturally, that golfer would have cashed and you would have gotten a split. Instead, we went over two and lost a hundred dollars. Your other bet was the USFL's generals to cover as nine and a half point favorites against Pittsburgh and the generals won by eight coming up just short a loss of $115 there. I had a small win on the under in game three of the Celtics bucks series had to sweat out the threat of overtime but otherwise a comfortable win we profit $50. And then there were the series bets. We had three game sevens to sweat this past Sunday. We had the Bucks to win their series at plus 115 for $80. That didn't work out. We had the Rangers over the Penguins at plus 150. They somehow pulled off the comeback from down three games to one. We risked $80 and won $120 on that. But then my bet from a couple of months ago on the Phoenix Suns to win the West, they didn't even get to the Western Conference Finals. Thanks to an atrocious Game 7 performance, we lose $100. We do still have two NBA playoff futures to sweat, though. Midseason, I bet the Heat at plus 625 to win the East. They are currently three wins away from cashing. And preseason, John, you bet that a team not from California, Texas, Florida, or New York would win the NBA title that plus 170 odds. You are a big favorite entering the playoffs. Thanks to the Lakers and Clippers, both failing. You just needed to fade Miami, Brooklyn, golden state, and Dallas. And somehow with four teams remaining, you still need to fade Miami, golden state and Dallas. So you need the Celtics to win the title for that bet to cash. That means our bets are in conflict. Of course, uh, financially, we should be rooting for Miami to win the East as that's $435 in our pockets. Whereas, Boston winning the East means $270 maybe in our pockets if they win one more series after that. So that's the big, long update, John, anything to comment on before I total it up?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, first uh, let's go heat. And (laughs) secondly, yeah, the generals missed two field goals and they were covering until the final score of the game was a field goal that they surrendered. Ah, That's a bad beat. It wasn't at the last minute at least. So even say it was in the fourth quarter though. Right.
1: All right. And, and who was the golfer that you meant to take? I, I don't know. even remember. I'm, I'm <laughs> blocking right. it all out. It was just it was funny because you were sending me slack yeah. messages yeah. celebrating that, <laughs> that well, this said... one's not going to make it. But this one we got. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, he I was in to the double top check five. I, yeah, I was like, oh, I made it
2: easily. We did not not even a sweat.
1: <laughs> oh, well. All right. All in all, over these last two weeks of results, we lost two hundred twenty five dollars. So we're yeah. now down three thousand five hundred thirty two dollars. We also have $785 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,683 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'll start with boxing. I'm going back to a bet type I just barely lost with recently, but I've also won with at times, the knockout win in a specific group of rounds. What looks like a mismatch on Showtime Saturday night in Glendale, Arizona, the outstanding undefeated super middleweight David Benavidez against heavy-handed Canadian veteran David Lemieux. Benavidez is a huge favorite. I'm seeing him from minus 1,400 to minus 1,800, And he's a huge favorite to win by KO, TKO, or DQ. That's like minus 650. So to get any value, we need to zoom in on a group of rounds. And at FanDuel, I think they overestimate his chances of getting it done early. First six rounds is minus 220. Round 7 to 12 is plus 230. Lemieux is sturdy. He has a good chin. He's been stopped twice in his career, but those came in round seven and eight, and the latter was against a prime Gennady Golovkin, and it was a mercy stoppage, not a true knockout. Benavidez, meanwhile, he's a very good puncher, 22 KOs and 25 wins, but he usually does it with an accumulation, not one punch, and it usually comes later in fights. His last four results were KO7, KO11, KO10, and KO9. I think a KO in round seven or later is at least as likely as the first six rounds, if not more likely. So I love the plus 230 price. Let's bet $60 to win $138. Benavidez by KO in round seven to 12.
2: All right, sounds good. I've been to Glendale for a Super Bowl. It's uh, mm-hmm. an incredibly anonymous suburb, uh, just like it's just <laughs> west of Phoenix, and right. uh, it's actually no duller than Phoenix is, but it's uh, it's not Scottsdale, I'll tell you that. Okay, enough about Arizona. So uh, I'm all in on Patrick Cantlay breaking his maiden this week with his first major win coming here at the PGA Championship in Tulsa. He has five regular tour wins, all on the same bent grass greens we get here. He puts lights out consistently on these courses. He's also second in the field in strokes gained in windy conditions in recent months. And he excels on brutal par 70s like Southern Hills, too. The stars are all aligned. So it's going to sting, Eric, when we lose on our Cantley bets of 20 to win at plus 2,200, 40 on him for top 10 at plus 250, and 40 more for top 20. No chops. This is on BetMGM. So that's a plus 110 when he gets a surprising miscut. Yeah. I'm sure it's... <laughs> and I'm oh. going to hedge slightly, actually. I'm not all in. I'm going to hedge slightly with 10 units to win at plus 3,500 on Irishman Shane Lowry, who also enjoys a windy track.
1: Okay. All right. So we've got a couple different guys uh, to root for there. Um, my second bet will be on tonight's Heat-Celtics game, too. I'm a little wary of the spread or the money line. Can't tell if the Heat are just unbeatable at home or if – The Celtics might have a refuse to lose game in them here. So I'm staying away from all that. And instead, I'm just betting on Jimmy Butler continuing to play the best basketball of his life. I watched it in the Heat Sixers series every game. I watched it again in game one on Tuesday. He is absolutely in the zone as a scorer with Kyle Lowry out. He's putting the team on his back. This is the best version of Butler and not even Boston's excellent defense can stop him. His last five games, he's scored 33-40. 23 32 and 41 and that low one the 23 that was in a blowout where he only played 35 minutes instead of his usual 40 to 43 minutes his line here is 26 and a half points i like the over on that quite a bit and as a bonus fanduel has the over at even money so let's bet 100 to win 100 jimmy butler over 26 and a half points tonight
2: all right. And I'm going to try the USFL again after that near miss. Uh, I should note that our title pick Philadelphia stars from the preseason are second in the USFL least at two and three. Okay. So they're in a playoff slot for now after blowing a double digit lead last week uh, against the undefeated Birmingham stallion. So they're mm-hmm. competitive against even the best team. So that's a good feeling. So let's show our faith in our stars by taking them for 110 units at plus three versus a two and three Tampa Bay team. That is second worst in the USFL in points scored.
1: All right. I like it. I'm all in on the stars. Uh, And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Chris Andrews. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
2: Yeah, so I went to the LPGA Tour event in North Jersey on Saturday. I'm expecting to see a pretty significant sports betting presence by BetMGM, a sponsor of the tour. After all, the event is in the billion-dollar monthly handle state of New Jersey, and the course is about 10, 12 miles from midtown Manhattan, where, of course, New York has blown up everything, including New Jersey, on betting volume. So, you know, the grounds naturally are lousy with rich old people who, in many cases, may not have signed up with a sports betting app yet because they're too embarrassed to ask their kids or possibly their grandkids for help. So you set up a big hospital area like DraftKings did at the PGA Tour playoff event in nearby Jersey City last summer. Instead, I saw nothing. I taped the TV showing of the round as well. And, uh, It's like Passport had never been revealed. Forget the fourth anniversary. We're back in 2017. No commercials. And unlike the men's tour, no announcers talking up the odds changes on the marquee groups from pre-round to let the turn. No recommendation on which way to spend your 100 bucks. Yes, they assume golf fans spend 100 bucks pretty casually. And they're probably right. On the low South Korean or so-and-so will make birdie in the next haul. Now, if the LPGA announced that they decided to be the one sport that ignores gambling, so attend their events and watch them on TV without being pestered by those sales pitches that frankly annoy a lot of fans, well, that would be interesting. We're going to zag where everybody else zigs. And if you like sports, but you don't like gambling, watch our product. That would be kind of cool. But they are paying lip service to being into the whole idea. Now, a tour spokeswoman said to me that I'll see some betting references at the next event. So I looked it up, and it's in Las Vegas, of course, you know. <laughs> Okay, but of course, in a wealthy area of bet-crazy New Jersey and nearby New York City, that too would have been a good place to make some money. So I give a bogey to the women's tour there. And with that, everybody, until next time, gamble on.